2.99. Why are you judging my daughter's diving? I wasn't talking about her. I was finalizing this month's special at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. 2.99% interest for 10 years. Wow, 2.99. Dad, visit PellaWI.com. It's a beautiful day for golfing and the WTMJ Classic at the club at Lock LaBelle. We're waiting. Now broadcasting live from the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin WTMJ Mobile Studio, here's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. It is a beautiful day. This is the WTMJ Golf Outing. We are at the club at Lac LaBelle. Um, the golfers started about an hour or so ago, and everybody's enjoying themselves. I'll be here with you till 3 o'clock, and then Scott Warris will be doing part of Wisconsin's afternoon news because John McCure is out on the golf course. He'll pick up in the middle. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's program. In addition, as we've been telling you about all day, there is an online auction going on. We'll give you updates about that. That, but if you just text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 855-616-1620, you can get all the details on how to place bids. So absolutely outstanding. Hope you had a great weekend as the summer kind of winds down just a little bit. All right, let's get started. This happened on Friday afternoon. The head of the Wisconsin Center District. Now, the Wisconsin Center District is the convention center, which is about to be doubled in space, and already, already they're saying that they they need to borrow more money because it's going to be more expensive than they thought. And then it's the UWM Panther Arena. It's the old Milwaukee Arena. And then it is the white elephant that is the um, that's the Miller High Life Theater, which for those of us who grew up around here, Miller High Life Theater is the old Milwaukee Auditorium. And they took like $40 million a number of years ago, and they, they turned it into, it is a nice theater. It is grossly underused, and it has been grossly underused since they built it. I would make a strong argument that it would have been much more cost-effective to have simply torn it down in the first place rather than build this venue that is essentially, I don't want to say it's empty every night of the year, but it doesn't get anywhere near as much business as it should for whatever reasons. So in any event, that that's the Milwaukee Center District. The CEO, his name is Marty Brooks, he went in front of the, the board on, on Friday, and he had, in my opinion, the audacity to say that, well, you know, the Bucks have this plan. You've got the, the Bradley Center, and the Bradley Center demolished. So you've got this vacant lot. What's happening is the Bradley Center has a plan. The, the, for that lot, the Bucks have a plan to partner with what is essentially Live Nation. It's called FPC Live, and they're one of the big talent bookers in the country. And what they're going to do is they're going to take that space, which is now vacant in the heart of the Deer District, and they are using private dollars. Their plan is to build an entertainment venue at the location of the Bradley Center. And what the it's going to do is it's going to have essentially two venues. One is going to have a capacity for 4,000. The other is going to have a capacity for 800. But it's going to be there. I think it's got the potential to be a huge, 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 did I say huge, a huge success because it's right, again, in the heart of the, the Deer District where you've got all that development, you've got all the entertainment. But But let's face it, 
what happens is you, you need a venue down there that's going to attract the smaller concerts that you would use when you, you don't have a band, for example, or a performer that's going to be able to fill up, you know, Fiserv at fifteen or 20,000 seats. So this will be 8,000, it'll be 4,000, or it'll be 800. Well, Marty Brooks, who is the Wisconsin Center District president, is apparently very, very afraid of competition. So he comes out and he says, well, I... I, I don't think we, we should do this. He said, you know, if you're going to, to do this, you're going to destroy concert opportunities at the Miller High Life Theater. You know, how are we going to be able to compete with th- this private enterprise, a new facility, if you build it, you know, a couple blocks away? So we need to say, well, we, we are not going to be able to compete. So let's tell these private developers who aren't asking for federal money they're not asking for state money they're not asking for local money we're let's tell them no we don't want them building their concert venue here again because the milwaukee theater which has always been an underperforming white elephant we don't think that we're going to be able to compete with them our number is 855-616-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line look this this whole conversation make is both infuriating and it makes my head explode because because here's the deal I don't know how many concert venues that Milwaukee can can handle. I mean, I personally, I have doubts whether or not <clears throat> if you open this place next to the next to five serve. Remember, there's these other plans that are floating around up by the the hotel on like Ninth in Wisconsin, the old bus station, and the plan is to build this giant soccer stadium. And <clears throat> then what we're going to do is we're going to have another concert venue that, that's up there. I don't see how you can have a concert venue up there that's essentially identical to the one that they're talking about building on the old Bradley Center space. But regardless, it's it's a free market last time I checked. And if you have a promoter, if you have a business that says, hey, we're willing to invest our own money and we think we can make this work, the fact that... The convention center district that has always had this underperforming Milwaukee theater now says that, gee, if we do this, it's going to have even more vacancies in our underperforming uh, venue than we've had before. Who cares? I mean, who cares? Isn't this a factor of let the free market decide? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Build the venue next to Fiserv. Let's see what happens. And if that means that, okay, there's even fewer events than there already are at the Milwaukee Theater, well, then that's the challenge. The challenge is for the Wisconsin Center District to figure out what they're going to do with that building and figure out how they're going to compete, as opposed to saying we shouldn't have, they shouldn't have to compete in the first place. 855-616-1620, what do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. We're broadcasting live from the club at Lock LaBelle in Oconomowoc. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the plan is um, Live Nation, which is they, they put people in Alpine Valley. It's one of the nation's largest concert promoters. They have a partnership with the Bucks to build a facility at the site of the old Bradley Center. Um, you have. Opposition, the Wisconsin Center District president is saying, well, it, it's going to take business away from the underused Milwaukee Theater. We we shouldn't have that. And my response is, well, no. I, what? Why don't we have competition? All right, let's talk to Craig in Milwaukee. Craig, good afternoon. 
Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I head up a group called Save Milwaukee's Music Venues. Yeah, you're, you're Craig Peterson. You're, you're Craig Peterson, which is the the lobbyist for this this Save Milwaukee's Music scene, right? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. Um, and it's not only the Miller High Life Theater, uh, theater that is going to have issues with this. It's all the historic independent music venues that these two venues would put out of business. When you just imagine Milwaukee, if we didn't have the Paps Theater, the Rave, um, the the Miller High Life Theater, the the Turner, Turner Ballroom, all those venues are in jeopardy because of the addition of this new venue. What happened? Right. First of all, let me ask you: How do you feel about how do you feel about the proposed venue that they want to put up in the Iron District? Are you opposed to that too? No, we're not because it's not Live Nation. Uh, Live Nation practices predatory, monopolistic business practices. They come into a community much like Walmart. They put everybody out of business. You have shuttered venues. You have people unemployed, and we Milwaukee would lose its historic. Um, cultural music scene. So you're not opposed to more venues, you're just opposed to this particular venue? We are opposed to Live Nation, what Live Nation does to a community. Well, And, and this is not a... So when we talk about the venue adjacent to the Pfizer Forum, this is not a level, level playing field. We got to remember that when the Bucks owners uh, acquired that property, they acquired it for about a dollar from the the, um, the the district, and the intent was is that it was going to be an economic engine. And hopefully, it was going to be a a large uh, a convention hotel, a convention hotel that would employ thousands. What we're talking about here is a venue that will create twelve full time jobs, twelve full time jobs. It is not an economic engine. This is a a city public policy issue. That we that we all have a right to voice our opinion on. The well, nobody says you don't have a right to. Here, and so well, nobody district. nobody says you don't have a right to voice your opinion. You you, you said that the Bucks acquired this for a dollar. How how when the the Paps Theater Group, as I require recall, that was sold for for a dollar as well. The Paps. Uh, that that was, and they're a not for profit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess the point At is the time, they were not they were not for profit. Yes. If all these different places, whether it's the Rave or the Pabst or Shank Hall or some of the other places, if if they can't compete with the Live Nation product, isn't that just what happens when, for example, McDonald's moves in and drove out some of the mom-and-pop diners? Yes, that is what happens. And do we want to lose? Do we want to lose the Riverside? Do we want to lose the Pabst? Do we want to lose Shank Hall and, and Turner Hall? Those are all on the table. It's a, it's a very frightening matter that Milwaukee could lose its historic independent music scene. Well, why do you say that? Because a number of the places, it, it's, I mean, I'm looking at like the, the Shank Hall, for example, um, the Turners, um, that's perhaps, they're not 4,000-seat venues. Riverside, maybe, but the, the other ones aren't 4,000-seat venues. Are they really going to be competing with the same, for the same performers? Yes, they will, because the, the smaller venue, that's 400 um, person. And the other thing you have to remember is these aren't theaters like you and I know them. There are no seats. There's no seats yeah. there. It's standing room only. So 
the 400-room venue, that is scalable, meaning that they can make that a venue for 100 people. They can make it a venue for 400 people. So it, um, it, yeah. it competes against the Cactus Club down in Bayview. It, it jeopardizes their livelihood. And the other thing is that these small venues, they can't compete economically buying, uh, getting acts against a publicly traded company. Okay, I, I, I guess I, to me, I think it's interesting that we're now saying that the government should be in the business of protectionism and saying that because we think you would be too successful, we're not going to let you operate. I guess I, I just have trouble with that intellectually. Yeah. You know, another thing, Jeff, is in, in the last year, the federal government has spent millions of dollars, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars with the Save Our Venue grants because they recognize that these historic... Yeah independent music venues should be protected. Did they give money to Live Nation? No. They only gave the money to the historic independent music venues. So that means the federal government recognizes that these these venues are jewels and they're important to our community. Just imagine if the rave wasn't there. The rave is is located in a in a in a difficult neighborhood on Wisconsin Avenue. It is an anchor for that neighborhood. It does wonderful things for that neighborhood. You take away the rave, and suddenly you have a donut. You won't have this wonderful entity that's helping the neighborhood. I I guess, Craig, what a number of people are texting and saying that you sound like Chicken Little, that the idea that if you have this venue, all of a sudden everything else is not going to be able to compete and is automatically going to close. And I guess it's, I'm having trouble with that as well. But I, I understand your position, um, and I appreciate it. Thank, thanks for the call. That, that's Craig Peterson, who is the lobbyist for this, this Save Milwaukee's music scene. And again, what I find to be really interesting about this is they're, they're not opposed to a, a new venue, because there's they, they want to put up the idea is let's let's put up a venue up in the Iron District again, like by the old bus station, 8th and 9th in Wisconsin. And this group isn't opposed to that. Oh, no, that, that competition is going to hurt us. But if it's Live Nation in the Deer District, well, then that's going to create all this carnage. And I, I'm sorry, I just don't see that happening. And I understand there's some people who say, well, you know, we have to, we have to protect the, these older venues. To me, I'm, I'm a free market guy. And if, if these older venues, some of which are kind of dumps, and some of which are, are nice. But if they're not able to figure out a way to compete, well, that's that's just what progress is. And, and this idea that, all right, Live Nation is automatically going to drive everybody out of business, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the Milwaukee Theater, for example, that we put, what, 40-some million dollars into, it has been an underperforming white elephant for for years and years and years. With, with public money that's been there. If we were talking about, hey, they want $50 million or $100 million to build this venue on the site of the Bradley Center, okay, well, that's a whole different conversation. But at least as far as I can tell, they're not looking for public money at all. This is a business that's coming in thinking that they can build a better mousetrap. And when did government ever get in the business of saying, well, we're not going to let you operate? We're not going to give you a permit to operate. We're not going to allow this to happen because we want to protect some of the other competitors. Okay, doesn't seem to me that that's very free market at all. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us again. And and they're going to have to make that decision 
with regard to, you know, whether or not we're going to allow a private company to come in and we're going to allow a private company to to compete. And I guess I'm always going to be in the favor of allowing the private company to come in and, and compete. And I understand you've got people out there saying, well, some of the private venues aren't going to be able to compete and they'll have to close. Maybe, maybe not. I, I think there's a lot of chicken little that goes on with that, that whole argument. But bring the venues in and, and see. I guess I'm all in favor of trying to have as vibrant a, a concert situation as you possibly can and if you've got a private operator that comes in and they want to start up a business let them do it let them see if it succeeds and candidly again when you look at things like the milwaukee theater which has been an underperformer for years and years and years i'm not too concerned with trying to protect it that they've been failing on their own for a long long time and i'm not concerned with saying hey we're going to be able to book all these acts and we're going to have this venue but we're not going to have it because the milwaukee theater I mean, give me a break. Uh, Least surprising story of the week. I I mentioned this on my Twitter account. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. The Northridge Mall, which, of course, has been in complete and total disrepair for the last 20 years. A week ago today, a Milwaukee County Circuit judge gave the owners until last Friday to come in and secure the facility, put in uh, 24-7 guards, clean out a lot of the debris. And you knew the minute that order was going to come out that they weren't going to do anything. The owners haven't put a dime, for all intents and purposes, into the thing in 20 years. So suddenly, in a week, you think they're going to spend $100,000, $200,000, whatever it's going to take. And, of course, Friday came, Friday went, no significant. I'm not even sure there was even anything that was done on this. And today, hopefully, the judge will start holding the owners of Northridge in contempt because they haven't done what they're supposed to do. The upshot of this is maybe it will motivate people to move on because the sooner they tear down that building and move to whatever plan B is, the better it's going to be. Three degrees. I'm Mike Spaulding, citing Unlimited WTMJ News Time, 1233. I'm Jeff Wagner. Coming up next. I'm Jeff Wagner. Coming up next. Do you believe in polls? We'll discuss. Stick around. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. This report's sponsored by Mr. Holland's Heating and Air Conditioning. Visit MrHollandsHeatingAndAir.com. I've been told I'm too corny, but that's a compliment. When I see a cornfield with rows and rows of stalks, I'm reminded of the rows and rows of furnaces, air conditioners and water heaters in Mr. Holland's warehouse. Here's a kernel of truth. Mr. Holland's home services can give you total home comfort for as low as $3 a day. But hold on, we can do better than that. We'll sweeten the deal with low monthly payments for up to 10 years. If your sky-high summer utility bills have been hard to digest, you can enjoy lower monthly energy costs with a brand new, high-efficiency furnace, AC, or water heater from Mr. Holland's Home Services. We're cornering the market with cooler air in the summer, warmer air in the winter, and hot water whenever you need it. All ears? Call Mr. Holland's Home Services today. 866-992-1717 or visit mrhollandshomeservices.com. If your home's climate makes it difficult to concentrate, we can help. It is just too hot to turn on that oven this time of year and cook. Let the Amazing Mind Chef Restaurant in Hartford serve you. Take care of the cooking and the service. John Merck here from WTMJ here. The Mind Chef has the best 
most affordable, family-friendly restaurant in the area for over 40 years. Mondays are Family Pizza Day. Enjoy a big 18-inch pizza for just $12.99. It's almost 20 bucks at most places. Easily feeds a family of four for $12.99. Tuesday tacos are just $2.99. Everybody loves the Mineshaft tacos. It's a fun, delicious family lunch or dinner. With school out, take your kids and grandkids to the Mineshaft. Do it this week. A massive game room. It's a fun, safe, super affordable outing. Have your kids' summer birthday party at the Mineshaft. I've done this. Free party rooms. Your kids will love it. No cooking, no cleanup. Everybody wins. Wherever you live, it's worth the drive to the Mineshaft restaurant in beautiful downtown Hartford and in Oshkosh. And enjoy that big 18-inch pizza every Monday for $12.99. It's the Mineshaft. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. We are broadcasting live from the club at Lake Lock LaBelle in Oconomowoc. We're in the middle of our second annual WTMJ golf outing. Everybody is out on the course, and I will tell you, you could have not asked for a more beautiful day than today. Temperature is perfect. It's not that humid. The sun is shining. Everybody's having a lot of fun. We are also doing our our WTMJ Cares event, and and this is with Vince, Vince Vitrano. It's a fundraiser for Special Olympics, and if you text... WTMJ cares to 414 I'm sorry to 855-616-1620 what you'll see is you'll you get a list of all the different auction items that are there we're going to be joined by Vince a little bit later he's out on the course and we're kind of trying to time this as he comes through and makes the turn or whatever we'll have him on just to talk about a wonderful event uh, something that is not wonderful a stock market in the tank, bad today. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 618 points right now. The NASDAQ down 200, 303 points. Um, I, I don't know exactly what's going on. They say that um, there, there's, again, concerns that the federal government is going to raise interest rates dramatically, and that's affecting it. I don't know that there's anything particular, but it was a bad week in the stock market last week after three or four good weeks following, like, three months of really bad stuff. And today starts, again, a bad decline. We'll continue to have you watch that. All right. I, I've been I've been making this reference. It seems like... For example, in a local newspaper, it's almost on a daily basis. There's a tag team going on about what sort of negative story are we going to write about either Ron Johnson or, or Tim Michaels. Well, we wrote the negative story about Tim Michaels today. Tomorrow is the negative story about, you know, Ron Johnson. Where there is like almost no scrutiny going on of, of Mandela Barnes, who is running against Ron Johnson, and, and certainly Tony Evers, who is the incumbent Democrat governor. Matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a link to a, a story about th- this a group that Mandela Barnes was associated with until at least 2019, which to describe this group as being anti-Semitic would be, I, I think, a, an understatement. But you, you see no press coverage of this at all. If Ron Johnson belonged to a similar sort of group, it would be a screaming headline. But because it's Mandela Barnes and because he is the chosen candidate of some of the media lead, it's like, OK, well, we're not going to write these sort of stories. And you're going to see more and more of this you know, coming up over the course of the next couple months, which brings me to a story that appeared over the weekend that I I think just in a a category of cheap shots goes right up there with, with a cheap shot. The Marquette University Law School poll came out last week, and in the poll it showed that Tony Evers and Tim Michaels were essentially in a statistical dead heat. I, I think the numbers were Evers... 
had um, 45% support. Michaels had 43% support with uh, a margin of error of, of four points. Okay, so that, that's a statistical dead heat. Now, I, I don't know. Some people believe polls. Other people don't believe polls. Um, you, you can assign whatever significance you want to that. Well, all right, so what happened is after that poll came out, Somebody asks Tim Michaels, the Republican candidate for governor, you know, what what he thinks about it. And he says, and I'm quoting now, if the polls say we're dead even right now, I believe in my heart that we're up at least five to ten percentage points. Okay, so that's, you know, that's what what he says. And then they say, well, well, why do you think that? And the the line that he says is, well, look, I, I, I think there's, if you see this and you look at the history, you see that conservative voters are typically underrepresented in polls a lot of times because they, they just won't interact with pollsters. All right. That, that's, you know, that, that's, that's what he says. He says, that's why I believe that we are ahead. Well, there's this kind of I don't know, snarky piece written by a woman named Sophia Voigt, who writes for the Appleton Post's Crescent, but it's in the Gannett series of newspapers. And um, this is the first paragraph. After the latest Marquette University Law School poll showed Republican gubernatorial candidate trailing Tony Evers by two percentage points, Tim Michaels claimed without evidence. It's because there's a class of people out there that does not talk to pollsters. Okay, so you've got this snarky little reporter that's out there saying, well, he didn't show any evidence of that. Our our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I... this isn't about is Michael's ahead or is Michael's behind. That I, I don't know. Who cares? The only poll that really matters is in November. But I, I found it interesting that in this rush to write, okay, what's going to be the negative story today? It, it's we're going to take issue with Michael saying that there's a class of people out there that does not talk to pollsters. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Is there evidence of that? This is my question. I think one of the things that has been quite clear over the course of the last six years is there are a lot of people who do not talk to pollsters. Or if they talk to pollsters, they lie to the pollsters. There's no other way to explain, for example, the Trump phenomena. And if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I'm no huge fan of Donald Trump. But Donald Trump consistently outperformed the polls. And I believe that was because there were a lot of conservatives in general, and Trump fans in particular, who just didn't cooperate with the pollsters. So to say, oh, Michael's claims without evidence that there's a class of people that doesn't talk to the pollsters, I I think that that's I think that that's almost self-evident. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Aren't isn't that just the reality that there are people who just do not participate? And I don't know about you, but I got to tell you, I, for a variety of reasons, I'm one of them. I would say over the course of the last month, I have been contacted at least three times by questions of surveys. Hey, would you, would you participate in this survey? We'd like to do this poll, etc. And in all three cases, I, I've, I've just passed. And it's it's just because I choose not to do it. 855-616-1620. Is this this huge smoking gun? Michael says, without evidence. There's people that don't talk to pollsters. My comment to the reporter for the Appleton Post-Crescent was, are, are you crazy? Don't you recognize that there are a lot of people who don't talk to pollsters? What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In the rush to get, okay, what's going to be the anti-Tim Michaels headline today? Journal Sentinel, Tim Michaels questions the integrity of the Marquette Law School poll, says he's actually up 5 to 10 points over Governor Evers. Now, what he actually said was, I, I believe that there's a lot of people out there who don't talk to pollsters, and my sense is that I, I'm, I'm ahead if the poll shows us, you know, essentially in a statistical tie. And that gets this, well, he said this without evidence. Well, this isn't really a knock on polls, but it is a reflection of the reality that we have seen over the last four to six years where Republicans typically are underrepresented in in the polls, in part because I think there's a lot of people who choose not to talk to polls, pollsters, because they don't trust them, they don't believe in polls, whatever. And and I'm not criticizing the pollsters, but isn't this the reality? Pat in uh, Rubicon. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thank you. Uh, I'm one of those who does not uh, answer pollsters for several reasons. One is basically they have your phone number. You'll end up on somebody's list. In addition to that, where does Marquette do their polling? The city of Milwaukee, Milwaukee County, mainly a Democratic community? That's a good question. Well, I mean, thanks for the call. But, well, I mean, no, I'm, look, I, I'm not challenging the integrity of the pollsters. No, they, they poll statewide, and, and they use their statistical samples. And, the, and if you look at the, the methodology, the, what they call the cross tabs, you can see that the number of re- people who say they're Republicans and the number of Democrats that they, they polled. My only point is, and I think if you look back over the numbers over the last six years, what you see is Republicans tend, the, the number of people who tend to vote Republican tend to be underrepresented. I mean, if you would look at the polls, you know, Ron Johnson was going to lose six years ago. If you looked at the polls, Donald Trump was going to lose in 2016 to Hillary Clinton. He was going to lose much bigger to Joe Biden than he ended up doing. I I think it's just self-evident that there's either something going on, either the polls aren't capturing a portion of the Republican vote, or alternatively, the people who are inclined to vote in this way just are choosing not to participate. And again, this isn't an indictment of the Marquette Law School poll, at least in my mind, but it is a reflection of reality. And for these reporters to say, well, uh, he claims without evidence that some people don't talk to pollsters. Well, isn't that the reality that some people don't talk to pollsters? 855-616-1620. George in Waukesha. George, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you today? Good. What do you think? Well, the first thing I'd like to do, if you don't mind, is kind of go back to the whole Ron Johnson, Mandela Barnes thing for a sec, if you don't mind. Well, I want to talk about the polls. What, do, you want to, do you want to discuss that, that poll, or, or do you want to talk about something no, different? Yeah, exactly. But, like, I, I think one of the reasons um, Ron Johnson is kind of going downhill in the polls is because of the whole he tried to hand fake electors to Joe, uh, uh, Mike Pence on January 6th. And you kind of skipped over that and talked about Mandela Barnes. Uh, oh, oh. Okay, George. I tell you what. I'm going to let you, George. I'm going to let you go because I, I. We trust me. We will have many, 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 many opportunities to discuss the Mandela Barnes and, and the Ron Johnson race. And I and 
feel free to call back in when we're doing that. I, I want to talk about this, this poll issue right now and the the attack on on Tim Michaels because he says, I, I just I think there's people out there that don't talk to pollsters. And again, whether the poll is accurate or not, I, I'm not taking a position, but it seems to me that that's just kind of self-evident. I don't know how you can look at what's going on with polls over the last four to six years and, and say clearly there, there's at least something that isn't being picked up by the polls. Rome in Midtown. Rome, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes. Hello. How are you doing today? Thank Good. What do you think? Phone. Sure. I think that uh, with all the fake news, the cry of fake news, and it uh, turned to fact, that has turned a lot of people off when you call them and, and ask them to, uh, to, to give their information for polling. I think a lot of people mm-hmm. got turned off with all the cries of fake news and things of that sort. Uh, and uh in reference to the other caller, uh, I just want to say that uh, I think that he was right when he was talking about what happened with uh, Ron Johnson. Uh, we don't need to dig up anything negative about Mandela Barnes because that's going to happen sooner or later with all of the club for growth and all these people that are spending money. But I don't think uh, until people start realizing that the only uh, that uh, fake news don't count, you got to be telling people the truth. And when you look at the truth of the matter is Ron Johnson has made a lot of mistakes. And people are seeing that, and that's why he's down. But again, everyone don't answer the polls, and he could be maybe closer than what the polls are saying. Okay, well, thanks for the call, Rob. Again, I I don't... We will, I promise, we we will spend lots of time talking about Ron Johnson and Mandela Barnes. I, I promise. But... Um, the, the question is pollsters and, and and whether it's claims of fake news or, or not. I, I don't I don't know, and I don't think pollsters are inherently biased or things like that. I don't. And I think some polls are better than others. But I, I do think it's interesting that now, uh, for example, Tim Michaels can say, "Well, I, I just I don't think that this is accurate," and the the, ra- the rip is going to be, "Well, there, there's no evidence." See, that's the latest thing that the media does. Well, they they say without evidence that this. He says, "Hey, look, this is what my feeling is. My guess is." the Michaels campaign has detailed polling that they are doing themselves that gives them an idea of, of where the race stands. And my guess is right now this race is, is a toss-up, one one way or or the other. And in, in April, in, sorry, in August, you know, whether one candidate is ahead by two points or one candidate is behind by two points really doesn't make any, any difference. I think you've got a really close race for governor. I think, as I've said before, in the Senate race, it's going to be extremely close as well. I believe that what you're looking at is, is a high point for Mandela Bar. But but this notion that, oh, polls all have to be gospel, that's that's just not proven to be the case over the time. Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? I don't think it's a stretch at all for Michaels to make that claim. And you had brought it up earlier, but I was going to make the same point. The Trump election is a perfect example. Um, I think not only may, you know, certain groups not participate in polls, but they might even be a little bit evasive. I mean, I can remember, I was proud to say that I was voting for Trump, but I think there were some conservatives that were holding back saying who they were voting for because they met with such disdain from other people if they said that. So maybe even with pollsters, they were a little bit evasive. So, but I think Michaels is probably right on, especially since he's a Trump-supported candidate. 
Yeah. No, th- no, thanks for the call, Mike. And I guess, and that's that's the only point that I I am making. But you know, this turns into a, a headline story. Michael's questions the integrity of the poll. I don't know that he's talking about the integrity of the poll. What he's saying is, hey, one of the things we've seen with experience over the course of the last four to six years is that the polls have not done an accurate job in many respects of picking up the depth of support for the conservatives, and, and that's that's just true. That, that's just the, the reality. And, and maybe maybe it is the whole fake news that people don't trust the mainstream media. Oh, I, I, I don't know why that would be. And again, I'm not here to say to besperch the integrity of the people that are doing the polls. I'm just saying that this is kind of the reality that's out there. Jeff, I'm one of the people that does not respond to polls. I don't want them to have my information. I don't want them to keep calling me. Yes, I am a conservative. And anytime ask me for pollster information, I hang up. I also don't believe in polls. I think past elections have shown that they are are fallible. Um, Yes. I mean, there's no question about that. I think that's it. Another text. Jeff, a lot of people probably don't talk to polls because they have election fatigue and the incessant political ads probably contributes to this fatigue. Yeah, I think that there's an element of that as well, Jeff, do you think the polls take into account what's happened before so they account for less Republican responses? Don't, don't know if, you know, I guess we'll, we'll have an indication of that, whether they've changed some of the, the methodology that they've used. Because, I mean, polling got a black eye in 2016, got a black eye in 2018, got a little bit of a black eye in, in 2020. I don't think polls are inherently fallible, but I, I do think that there are limits. And I don't think you criticize, it's fair to criticize a candidate who says, you know, I just, I don't think this poll fairly and accurately represents the depth of my support. And I guess that's the the bigger point here. I think candidates ignore polls at their own expense. That's a very, very risky thing. And especially when you see polls one after another, after another, after another, that are all coming out with kind of the the same numbers, I I think you have to recognize the state of the race. For example, everyone wants to talk about the Johnson-Mandela-Barnes race. I I think right now, Ron Johnson, if the election were held tomorrow, Ron Johnson would probably be down. That, I think, in part is reflective of the fact that Mandela Barnes hasn't been screened yet. I mean, I don't think people know who Mandela Barnes is, the groups he's been associated with, what his policies actually are. And I think more people find out about that. His numbers are going to drop, and the race is going to be very close when it comes to Election Day. Same thing is true with Michaels and Evers. These are going to be very, very close races because in Wisconsin, they're almost always very close races. All right. Back with much more in just a couple minutes. We're broadcasting live from the second annual WTMJ golf outing at Lock LaBelle, the club at Lock LaBelle. Stick around. It's a beautiful day for golfing in the WTMJ Classic at the club at Lock LaBelle. We're waiting. Now broadcasting live from the fellow windows and doors of Wisconsin WTMJ Mobile Studio, here's Jeff Wagner. Voice Guy says, we're broadcasting live from the club at Lock LaBelle. It is a wonderful day. All sorts of our partners out on the golf course. Uh, so far, I haven't seen anybody come by our broadcast facility, which is 
right outside the main clubhouse. You know, a lot of times on this program, we talk about the scourge of reckless driving and all the, the, senselessness, the senselessness that goes on on the roads. And, and many times, it's just irresponsibility of drivers that causes deaths. Every once in a while, though, you get these stories about just the irresponsibility of passengers. Here's the headline in the local newspaper. 18-year-old dies after falling from window of moving car on Sunday. Two Milwaukee women, one age 18, the other age 87, are dead after one crashed a car into a tree Sunday and another fell out of the window of a moving vehicle. The first incident was reported at 2.33 a.m. in the 100 block of North 35th Street on the north end of the 35th Street Viaduct. Police said an 18-year-old woman was a passenger of a vehicle and was sitting on the window frame when she fell and was hit by the rear end of the same car. When she fell and was hit by the rear end of the same car. So apparently she, sitting on the window frame, fell off and then got run over by the vehicle. Driver remained on the scene and cooperated with police. At 11.41 a.m., police reported a vehicle driven by an 87-year-old left the roadway and struck a tree in the 5400 block of North Sherman Boulevard near McGovern Park. Milwaukee has seen 38 fatal car crashes this year as of August 17th, compared to 40 on the same date in 2020. And and there were a lot in 2021, so it's essentially comparable. But, you know, I guess from the perspective of of parents, maybe, again, this is one of these sort of teachable moments because I understand when we're young, we all think that we're just invulnerable. We think that we're bulletproof. Nothing can happen to us. And that's why you end up with people doing really, really stupid things. Riding on the window frame of a car at 2.30 in the morning is a really, really stupid thing. And I understand that there's people who do that because they think it's fun or, or whatever, and they're, they're able to get away with it and nothing bad happens. But this is, again, one of these classic stories that demonstrates pretty clearly how, you know, really bad stuff can, in fact, happen. And here you have an 18-year-old woman who's dead because she made some really, really bad decisions. And the driver of the vehicle made some really, really bad decisions. And if there were other people involved, they made really, really bad decisions. But you have somebody that's dead. Bottom line is, it might be fun, but the consequences are just devastating. All right. I have a question. For the audience, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Matter of fact, I want this is how I want to present this. I want volunteers. Right? I want five volunteers, 855-616-1620. I have a question to ask you. Simple question. Promise it's not going to be embarrassing, but just five volunteers to answer a simple, straightforward question. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Need five volunteers. Let me take a quick break to give Charlie back in the studio an opportunity to line them up. I just have a very, very simple question to ask you. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back with that question in just a moment. We are broadcasting live from the club at Lock LaBelle. Okay, we, we've got our five callers. Hang on with me just a moment. We'll, we will get to you. I have a question to ask. But before that, I am joined by Vince Vetrano from Wisconsin's Morning News, who's playing in the golf outing. Got it? Working? All right, here we go. No, it's that one. Okay, there we go. Hi, Vince. You're, we're on? 
All right. Here we go. We're working out our our high. Yeah. Okay. We can't hear you. Try now. Try now. You like that? All right. Okay. Fine. We're working. Okay. (laughs) This is your day. You're out playing. You've played seven holes so far. Uh, We're doing real well. Yeah. I think we're a few under, but that's not why we're here. Why (laughs) are we here, as a matter of fact? So I I said this this morning, Jeff, and we welcomed everyone out here for this WTMJ Cares event. You know, I'm I'm new here to, to WTMJ, at least on the radio side, and I'm really grateful to work for the company that when I came in here, like what you have had the opportunity to do and Steve and John and some of the other hosts, they say, what matters to you that will also matter to the community? We're going to give you this platform to promote that special thing. And for me, it's been Special Olympics. For, uh, I was on board of directors for nine years, a volunteer for many years before that. That's my nonprofit passion, and I support our athletes fully. We've got a couple of them out here today. One of our Special Olympics golfers today apparently just missed a hole-in-one by a foot. Ooh. And birdied on his own. There you so go. That's what we're out here celebrating. Absolutely. And one of the things we're also doing is we're raising money for Special Olympics. And there's an online auction that, that's going on now. I've been watching some of the, the stuff, and it seems like people are embracing it. And it's a couple more hours for people to bid. I was in early on the Chula Vista, but I don't think I'm anywhere near there yet. So I was going let it, to let it trickle through for a little bit. But, oh, yeah, that's not where I was. So, Let's you know. See. Yeah. But no, so we're but we've got all sorts of things that are out there. Um, Wisconsin sports frame pictures, Miller Park canvas, white lace in. One of our great advertisers is out there as well. All sorts of stuff that, that's going on, and the uh, auction stays open till what five o'clock today. Where is uh, the Dre Camp? Giant like train engine AC unit. I think it was at thirty five hundred bucks last time I checked, with a value of of like five sixty five hundred. Yeah, sixty five yeah. grand fully installed, and this thing can take care of probably any size home that is out there. So that's a super bargain as well. And so grateful to uh, our friends at Drakeamp Heating for um, donating that. Right, we have a number of other things too, like autograph packers. Um, Autograph Packers helmets, one from Eric Stokes, I know, that it's out there as well. And people are being very, very generous with this as well. Well, and the other thing I love about Special Olympics, Jeff, that I think you can appreciate is there's so many nonprofits out there, and they're all very well-intentioned, but some of them work better than others. Right, right. right. Sure. Special Olympics, give me 15 minutes, come to one of our events, and you will see it works. It is effective. It is following its mission and delivering on all of its promises. We have people with intellectual disabilities, about 9,000 of them in the state of Wisconsin who are part of Special Olympics, and they are getting everything out of it that, that we promise. The, the joy and the fitness and the self-fulfillment that comes with competition, that comes with being involved in sports, and we all win at that because they are an inspiration to so many of us who are around the movement. So I promise you that it works, and any contributions are going to a great place. Well, and, and that's it, because if people don't want to bid, they can contribute regardless. But some of the, for example, some of the things, autographed Cor- Cor- Corbin Burns baseball, right now that's at 130 bucks, retail 200 um, Chula Vista stay, retail 500 that's 250 right now. Very nice. So, that's a really big bargain. I mean, that's an overnighter in Wisconsin Dells. Take the family. Right. You got. I think it's a junior suite, so you, know, you get your own spot for mom and dad and the kids have their spot, and then everybody goes to the water park. Great thing to do over spring break or winter break. Right, And we want some overbids, too. I mean, that's what we want. That's the idea, because (laughs) the bottom line is 
it goes, like you're talking about, Vince, to a wonderful cause. And we are a statewide organization, Special Olympics is, and serving every region of the state. Our winter games are usually up in the Wausau area. That's skiing and snowshoeing and all that stuff. We just had our, what we call our celebration games, because Special Olympics is celebrating its 50th anniversary in the state of Wisconsin. That was at uh, Carroll University in Waukesha. Had over 1,000 athletes there. And then all the people that come with them. Families, caregivers, and our Special Olympics staff. So we're all over the state of Wisconsin, and we draw on support from everyone across the state. Great event. Okay, go back. Join your group. They're, they're probably missing me because they really need my shots, Jeff. Don't want, don't want people to fall too far behind, <laughs> right, and we'll Bill. talk to you a little, little, Thanks, little later. Friend. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, here's the question. Let's go back to what we were talking about before. I have a question. We had five volunteers. One of the callers dropped off. So I want one more, 855-616-1620. I have a simple, straightforward question for you. All right. And here, here's the deal. For those of you who are on the line, um, when you hear the question, j- just don't hang up if you don't know the answer, because I want to get a random sample of people. Chad in Appleton. Chad, you're first. Good afternoon. Chad? Chad in Appleton. Yeah, I'm here, Jeff. Oh, I'm Chad, here, Jeff. Would you s- Good. Chad, would you say that you're politically well-versed? I mean, do you, do you follow politics a little bit? I would say a medium. Okay, fair enough. Who is Joan Beglinger? B-E-G-L-I-N-G-E-R. Maybe Beglinger, Beglinger. Who, who is Joan Beglinger? Still there, Chad? Okay. Charlie, got to drop the call. Charlie? Who that is. Oh, you do not know who Joan Beglinger is. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it. Ted in Mayville. Ted, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, would you say that you're, do you follow politics? Do you follow politics at all? I would say, like last, previous caller, followed midway through all the way. And to answer the question, if you're going to ask the same thing, I don't know who that is. You do not know who Joan Beglinger or Beglinger is. Okay, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Patty in Oak Creek. Patty, good afternoon. Hello, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, Patty, Joan Beglinger, who is that? Um, she is uh, something to do with um, something to do with Utah. Something to do with Utah. Okay, okay. Thanks for the call. Thanks for playing, Patty. Appreciate it. All right, let's talk to Josh in Waukesha. Josh, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how's it going, Jeff? Good. Are, do you follow politics? I'm low, probably. Low in following okay. politics. Okay. Do, do you know, um, you, you've obviously, you, you know who Tony Evers and you know who Tim Michaels are, correct? I do. Okay. Um, Joan Beglinger. Do you know who Joan Beglinger is? Yes. I believe she's the fourth in uh Vince Petrano's group today that's golfing out at Lac Is that correct? <laughs> no, that's not correct, but that's a good guess, Josh. Thanks for the call. Okay, so so we're 0 for 4 on Joan Beglinger. Let's try one more. Steve, uh, Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. I bet you wish you were out there golfing, eh? I, I do. You know, I, I played Friday and hit the ball really well, and yesterday did okay. I, yeah, I wish I was out there today, but this is fun. Okay, I, I don't mind. I, don't, I love That's talking to people time. regardless. Joan Beglinger, or Beglinger, do you know who she is? You know, I'm guessing the lieutenant governor candidate. 
Lieutenant Governor Cannon. Okay, thank, thanks for the call, Steve. I, I appreciate it. Okay, so five random callers, different degrees, admittedly, of, of following politics. Not a single person knew who Joan Beglinger was. Don't feel bad, because until last Thursday, now I get paid. I'm a political junkie. Okay, I get paid to follow politics. Until last Wednesday or Thursday, I had no idea of who Joan Beglinger was. I'll tell you who she is and why it matters in just a minute. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, who is Joan Beglinger? And, And I confess, I had no idea either. She is the independent candidate for governor of the state of Wisconsin. Now, what got me thinking about this is that Marquette University Law School poll that came out in the middle of last week that we were talking about earlier. It showed that Evers had 45 percent of the vote. Tim Michaels had 43 percent of the vote. And Joan Beglinger had 7 percent. Again, almost one in 10 were planning to vote for her. And my question, I was thinking, I've never heard of this woman before. And, and how could other people? So I, I, I go to her website, and, and here's to, to get on the ballot in Wisconsin. As an independent, all you have to do is collect 2,000 nomination signatures between April 15th and June 1st. No primary, nothing. So she apparently got 2,000 signatures. She is a retired nurse. Um, worked at St. Luke's Hospital um, and then St. Mary's Hospital. So she's a retired nursing executive who married 48 years. If you go to her website and you, you read her policies, it seems to me that she is, from a political perspective, essentially identical to Tim Michaels. That that's, There doesn't appear to me to be any significant difference between her stand on the issues and Tim Michael's stands on the, the various issues. Um, whether it's, well, for example, um, minimi- I'm looking as governor, I will minimize the burden of taxes and regulations, require government agencies to be timely and responsive with permitting and other essential services, promote energy independence, reject the climate crisis agenda, work to restore responsible management of our natural resources. I will provide law enforcement and community leaders with whatever they need to deal with crime, protect the constitutional right of law-abiding citizens to bear arms, keep our focus where it belongs. We do not have a gun violence problem in Wisconsin. We have a murder problem. In other words, her agenda strikes me as being essentially identical to the agenda of the Republican candidate. So uh, maybe there's some minor differences in things, but I, I guess I, I'm looking at this and thinking in a close race, and I mean no disrespect to people who, who choose to run, but, but first of all, why would anybody vote for her as opposed to Tim Michaels? Because Joan Beglinger is not going to win. She's not going to be the next governor of the state of Wisconsin. That, that's just the reality. And so every vote that she draws strikes me as being a vote that would otherwise go to Tim Michaels. And in a race that is going to be as close as this race is inevitably going to be, 
you know, 7% of the population voting for her when she is essentially identical for all intents and purposes to Tim Michaels is just siphoning votes away from Michaels and, and standing to, uh, again, help reelect Tony Evers. Now, I, I know nothing about, you know, Joan Beglinger or Bedlinger, however you want to pronounce it, but I, I do know that she's not going to win. And I do know that her positions are pretty much identical to Tim Michaels, which Really, when you look at some of these poll numbers, if you say that, that it's 45-43, you know, are 7% of the electorate really going to vote for her when she's pretty much identical to Tim Michaels? And that could have the possible effect of, of swaying the election, which raises the question of, again, with, with all due respect to people running, why would you vote for candidates who have no chance of winning when the one of the other candidates you could vote for is, from a policy perspective, almost identical to the candidate that you would consider voting for who has no chance of winning. So for, for people who looked at that poll and said, who, who is she and why is she drawing 7%, who she is is the independent candidate who has a platform that, like I say, is almost identical to Tim Michaels' platform, but she siphons votes away. You put those votes together with the Michaels' votes in that Marquette Law School poll to the extent you believe it, and it actually... You know, if all those candidates would unite, then you've got, you know, Michael's winning by about five points as opposed to the spoiler candidates there. So I don't know how this is going to play out over the course of the next couple months, but to the extent that there are really 7% of the electorate who thought of voting for Joan Beglinger, that the operative question is why would you do that when every vote for Beglinger is essentially a vote for Tony Evers? Just asking the question. But that's who she is, and she polled 7% last week. Matter of fact, a number of people are remembering correctly their history. 30 years ago, when Bill Clinton was first elected, 1992, running against the first President Bush, the, the reason Clinton won with the plurality of the votes is there was a third-party candidate, Ross Perot. Ross Perot, in several key states, siphoned enough votes away from then-President Bush that, that allowed Bill Clinton to win. In my belief, and I think in the belief of a lot of people who look at the numbers, if Ross Perot had not run for president in 1992, George Bush would have been reelected. But the third-party candidate siphoned enough votes away. Now, I, I'm not saying that this woman is is Ross Perot. But if you believe the polls, she's pulling 7%. My guess is, at least the people that answered that, it was mostly like a protest vote that's there. But if you look at where her, she is on the issues, she is as conservative, if not more conservative, than Tim Michaels. And Again, a vote for the independent candidate in this case is like a vote for Tony Evers, which makes me wonder if people really realize that that is what's going on. In any event, um, if she really does pull 7% or more in the general election, I, my prediction is that might guarantee that Tony Evers ends up winning. If she pulls 2 or 3%, it'll be a big win for Tim Michaels. Time will tell. When we come back, the phrase that's being used is housing suicide. Is it or isn't it? I'll explain. We'll discuss. So glad to have you with us broadcasting live from the club at Lock LaBelle. I, when I was in high school, 
I, I took four years of Latin taught by the late, great Juanita Bonneman at Nicolay High School. And I, I have to confess, while I can still read a little bit of Latin, and I use it to help me understand words in other languages, the, um, the, my, the two phrases that I remember from four years of, of Latin are in wino verum, which means in wine there is truth, and the other one is um, de mortem nil nisi bonum, which means speak nothing but good of the dead. And I, and I try to adhere to that. And that's why this breaking news story, um, if you've been around here for a while, it, it is a bit of a challenge. It, um, Rembert Weekland, who is the former archbishop of the Milwaukee Diocese, has just passed away at the age of, of 95. Uh, the, the story in the local newspaper says he leaves a complex legacy. That's, I, I think that would be an understatement for people who weren't around during the time. Rembert Weekland was a very, very controversial figure in in Milwaukee for decades. He was appointed to be the Archbishop of the Milwaukee Diocese in 1977, and he, he served until 2002. We'll get that to that in a minute. Um, <clears throat> during that, that time, he was extremely progressive, I think would be the word. He was, a, he was very, very liberal. He um, used his position... As uh, again, I, I think you know, fighting with I think the the fact that he felt that the church needed to modernize, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And again, very, very complex. There, there's no question about it. And uh, you know, a number of the decisions that that he made were very, very controversial. Like I say, he was very <clears throat> instrumental in trying to liberalize the church. He resigned pretty much in disgrace in 2002 when it turned out that he had paid $450,000 to in church funds that he had used to pay hush money to silence a, a male lover who had, had apparently agreed to, to be quiet. He took $50,000 in church funds, and, and he, he paid for the guy's silence, and ultimately the guy broke the deal and accused him of date rape and things like that. Um, at that point in time, this was right when the, the scandals involving priests and, you know, particularly young boys, was starting to, to surface. And um, as time went on, he um, ended up, I, I think, acknowledging um, during various, in various depositions that when he was running the archdiocese, he shredded copies of sex abuse documents, he failed to notify law enforcement officials, and moved sexually abusive priests from parish to parish without warning members of the parishes, parishes of their history. So um, I think the, the legacy, again, he was a very, very, uh, I mean, he was a dominant figure during the time that, that he ran the archdiocese, but he, he resigned in disgrace. And, you know, in the aftermath, as more and more stuff came out, there, there's no question that Rembert Weekland helped perpetuate the, the abuses that several priests were engaging uh, against members of the diocese. So he, he's, he spent essentially the last 30, well, since he retired in 2002, last 20 years of his life trying to lead sort of a, a, a low-key existence, and, you know, he, he bounced around to different places. But, again, a very, very controversial figure who it's impossible to understate, to overstate how important I, I think he was to the Catholic Church, particularly in the 70s and 80s and 90s. And then, again, the, the more information that came out subsequently, you found that he was involved in, in and I think, 
actions that most people would agree were abhorrent and, and really hurt the Catholic Church long time. He also, at, I think it was in 2009, he came out as, as being gay him, himself, might have been the, the first person of that rank who had ever sort of acknowledged that. But but the, the controversies with Weakland weren't about his sexual orientation. It was rather using church funds to pay the hush money and then... The, the shuffling of different priests who had been accused of sexual abuse to, to different parishes and trying to allow them to continue their careers without notifying the parishes. Parishes, Very, very controversial figure who was also, I think, just a huge player in, in Milwaukee in general and certainly in the religious community for the better part of 20-some years. He's now passed away at the age of 95. When we come back, housing suicide? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Orlando, Florida is going to have a referendum and you know you you can always in trying to predict the results of referendum and elections you you can really be embarrassed I, I, I am willing to predict this referendum is going to pass Oh, with 80 to 85 percent of the vote, what they are going to be asking in this referendum is whether or not landlords should be allowed to raise rents above the rate of inflation. So in other words, they're going to ask the general population, do you think landlords should be able to raise rents whatever they want? Well, okay, how, what do you think is going to happen in this particular referendum? Gee, you're asked, gee, should somebody else be able to charge what they want for their product. Well, of course, everybody's going to say no, unless you're a landlord. But the landlords and maybe their family and maybe some of their friends, that this referendum is going to lose 80, 20, 85, 15, because it's other people's money. See, here's what's going on. Um, in Orlando, just like all over the country, rents are, are going up. There has been, since 2020, they say there's been a a spike in rents of about 35%. Part of that is due to availability of housing. Part of it is just due to inflation in general. So what they're asking for is rent control. We want to have rent controls, and we want to put limits on, on how much landlords can raise rents. There is a movement in Milwaukee to try to do that as well, to say that, okay, if you look at where the inflation rates are, part of it is that, that housing costs are going up. So we want to have the government come in, and we want to have the government limit how much somebody can charge for their particular, in this case, rental unit. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand, on the one hand, it sounds good. Well, you know, we... Well, we don't want to have to pay more. You know, why should those landlords be able to charge what the market will bear? Because that's essentially what it is. If you're if you're renting an apartment, if you're a landlord, you own an apartment, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to pay, I'm going to charge two thousand dollars a month for this apartment, and nobody wants to pay it because it's not worth two thousand. Well, it's either going to sit vacant, or the landlord's going to have to drop the price to fifteen hundred. On the other hand, if it's a property that you got people that are willing to pay $2,000 for. Should the government be able to say, no, Mr. Landlord, here's the deal. You can only charge 1500 And if you have something like that, what does it do? Now, I understand it, it helps keep costs low. 
But what does it do, big picture, to the housing market? I was talking to somebody over the weekend who, incidentally, his um, son works for a company that owns all sorts of uh, properties in, in Orlando, and they're looking at building more multifamily housing units in Orlando. And this provision is on the ballot. And one of the things he was telling me is the company has already decided that if their rents and their rent increases are going to be limited by the government, they're just going to pull out of these housing projects. They're going to say, okay, we're going to take our money and we're going to invest it in some other fashion. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the government, whether it's in Milwaukee or otherwise, be imposing rent controls, which tells a landlord how much they can charge to rent out their property? 855-616-1620. My answer is, is no. This is another one of these free market type of, of things. And from a business perspective, if you've got a rental unit and you can get 1700 bucks a month for the rental unit, I don't think the government has any business in telling you, no, you're, you're only going to be allowed to charge 1300 bucks. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. So this November, voters in Orlando, Florida, it's, it's Orange County, Florida, are going to be asked a referendum question saying, should the government limit the amount of, uh, a landlord can increase rents? And it would be tied to inflation, so it would be about 9%. The landlords are saying, hey, if you do something like this, it's going to essentially cripple the housing market because people aren't going to invest. You're not going to build new multifamily apartment buildings if you're going to have the government come in and artificially limit what you can charge. Lutens be a tax. Jeff, are they nuts? Can the landlord then in turn freeze the cost of roofs, the cost of plumbers, the cost of HVAC contractors? What about taxes? Can they freeze that? Which is a very, very good point. I mean, so again, you've got the landlord who's saying, okay, uh, the government's now going to tell me that I can't raise my rate more than 9%. Okay, that's all well and good, but I've got to make these repairs. And and costs have gone up 15% or 20% or, or whatever. Plus, I'm entitled to make at least a little bit of profit on my investment. Do we really want to get to a point where we want to have the government that is coming in and artificially telling people what they can charge? Let's talk to Eric in Milwaukee. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Um, yes, I am against the government control of rents. Um, renting is real estate investing for the owner of the property, regardless if they're a, a small investor or a, or a large corporate group. Um, government can't tell car businesses how much to charge for their cars, be it, be it new or used. It's just what the market dictates. And rents should be able to do the same thing. Um, different neighborhoods have have different home values and and rent prices along with it. And uh, and then also, like the previous uh, caller mentioned, when you have improvements made, um, the market dictates. Yeah. Right, and and if you, for example, Eric, if you if you overprice your rental unit, so let let's say you own. 10 rental units or whatever. And if you overprice that, well, what's going to happen? People people aren't going to pay the rent, and you're either going to have those units sit vacant or you're going to have to drop the, the rate, the, what you're asking for it. But if you can get 
$1,500 a month, uh, it's, why should the government tell you you can only get 1100 I just, I, I just, It's not the government's role to tell you, at least in my opinion, how you should be able, what you should be able to charge for your property. Exactly. And, and this is another example of the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. If, if people are complaining that the rents are too high, well, then they maybe just need to find another neighborhood. Or get another job if you want to live in a better neighborhood. You, you just yeah. you just can't. Right. No, Eric. Thanks for the call. And again, see here. Here's also the the big picture thing. And I understand that there's people out there who view you know, these evil landlords and stuff like that. But but most landlords are, are kind of like the impression I get, get. Eric is what what they are is they're individuals who have made the decision that you know what I've got a little bit of money to invest and I could buy stocks, I could buy bonds, I could put it in the bank. But I, I'm going to invest in in housing and I'm going to provide a service. But I also expect to have a return on our, our money. I mean, we we don't tell people you can only make. Uh, 30% on your stock investment. Or we don't tell people that if you invest in, in a business that you're only going to be allowed to you know make a 30% profit. No, you, you get involved in real estate vest, investing because you want to turn a, a profit. You want to make money. It is an alternative to something that you are doing. And, and the bottom line is, if you have the government come in and say, we're going to put limits on this, well, that's exactly what's starting to happen in Orlando. You have these big companies that said, hey, we were planning to build these different housing projects, but but now that we've got the government telling us what we can charge and what the limits are going to be on that, well, now we're going to rethink it. This is, you know, we're going to talk about this uh, again a couple times leading up to November. I understand where the referendum's going because you're going to ask people, hey, should, should somebody else be able to charge more? Well, everybody's going to vote no on that. I mean, that's, that's sort of a dumb question. You could ask, gee, do you think car dealers should be able to charge 15% more for their cars? Do you think that grocers should be able to charge 15% more for a gallon of milk? Everybody's going to say, no, I don't think that, because it doesn't affect them. But the long-range implications of this are huge. All right, a lot of stuff coming up in the 2 o'clock hour. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's a beautiful day for golfing and the WTMJ Classic at the club at Lock LaBelle. Now broadcasting live from the Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin WTMJ Mobile Studio, here's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. If my wife is listening, she would be very proud of me because, again, we're here at the the club at Lock LaBelle, and this... They really do a very, very good job. So during the break, I went in to get myself a cup of water, and right by the water, this morning, they had had like a breakfast thing set out for all the golfers and participants, sweet rolls and things like that, and there were about, I don't know, I'd say a dozen or so left, and they were by the the thing I went to get the ice water that I was going to have, and one of them looked really, really appealing, and I was going to reach out, and I, I just, I heard my wife's voice in the back of my head saying, Jeff, you do not need that sweet roll, you do not want the sweet roll, you should not have the sweet roll, and I am proud to say I resisted temptation, came back with just my glass of water. So, you know, every once in a while, you can stand up to temptation. All right, just because it is a new idea doesn't always mean that it is a bad idea. And there's something that they're kicking around with the UW Board of Regents now that I think is worthy of of at least a conversation. Let us think about how most of us who went to college got into college. What, What happens is 
you know, starting, if you're like me, starting, you know, your junior year, you start looking at potential colleges. Maybe, maybe you know, you and your parents go and you take a tour of different schools to get a handle on that. And, and then you kind of sit down and you say, okay, what's... What's my grade point average? What's my, at least back in the day, you had to take either the SAT or the ACT test. And you'd kind of look and you'd say, okay, what, what are my chances of getting into this school or that school or whatever? And I, at least, and I'm sure it's still around, but when I was going to apply for schools, you know, you could, you could see there was things that you could buy that had charts. And they say, okay, this is... This is how many people um, that applied that had your SAT score and how many people that applied that had your GPA. And it was a grid, and you could say, oh, they're admitting 90% of the people in that category. Or I got no chance to get into Yale, or, or whatever that, that might be. But but you could tell that. And then you would fill out the applications. And I, I don't know, maybe you applied to two or three schools, maybe you applied to five or ten schools, and then you sat and you waited, you waited, you waited, you waited to hear, am I part of the early admission, am I going to get in, and and then ultimately you kind of had a list in the back of your mind saying, okay, this is my top school, and if I get in there, I'm going there, and I'm going somewhere else, but you had to go through the application process. The UW system is considering doing something that a handful of states do already. Minnesota is one. Hawaii is another. I think Idaho is a third. Maybe there's one or two more. But they call it direct admissions. So instead of people having to apply, gee, I'm thinking I want to go to UWM. Or I, I want to go to, you know, whatever. I want to go to Stevens Point or whatever. And I'll, I'll get the application stuff, and I'll fill out the forms, and I'll send it in a way to here. What direct admissions would do is Wisconsin schools would look at all the kids that go to Wisconsin high schools. And if you qualify... You know, and again, whatever, you'd have to figure out what the test is going to be. Is it the top 20% of your class? Is it the top 15% of your class? Is it the top 30% of your class? And an ACT score of this, if they still use that, or an SAT score of that. But regardless, you, you have this criteria. And under what they call automatic admission, instead of a kid having to apply, what would happen is if you automatically qualify for under whatever criteria, whatever objective criteria they're going to have, you don't have to apply. You get a notice. You would be notified by UW-Stevens Point or UWM or UW-Platteville or maybe all of them that you qualify. Congratulations. You qualify if you want your appointer. You know, if you want, you're a UWM Panther. Um, the idea would be they reach out to you and tell you that you are admitted. You don't have to bother going through this at all. Now, there's some question as to whether Madison, which is extremely selective, some people would argue unduly selective and somewhat arbitrary, whether UW-Madison would participate in this or not. But let's talk about the general concept the states that have tried this have found that the number of in-state students applying and going to the in-state colleges ha- has increased maybe five maybe ten percent because 
all of a sudden somebody is thinking, well, I don't know exactly real, where I want to go, um, and I, I'm kind of on the fence about these things. And then you get a letter saying, hey, you're accepted to UWM, or you're accepted to UW-Lacrosse, or you're accepted to UW-Eau Claire, and you go, you know what? I think that's pretty cool. I'm going to go there. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the way I understand these proposals, there's nothing that says that people couldn't also apply. You know, So let's say you don't automatically fit that automatic admission criteria. Well, you, you could still apply to the school, but the people who would automatically essentially be accepted because they meet all the, the criteria, they don't, they're not required to apply. They just get a notice saying, come join us, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Anything wrong with this? Because I've been trying to think about this since I first saw this, this proposal being kicked around. And the more I think about it, the, the more I just don't see a downside to this. If kids would, if their criteria, and I'm not talking about dumbing stuff down, but if you've got a 3.8 grade point average from a particular school and you've got an SAT score of whatever your SAT score is, and if you filled out the application and sent it into UW-Stevens Point, if you would be accepted, well, okay, why not just skip that step, notify the kid that, that he or she is accepted in the first place, and then let them make the decision. It seems to me it would encourage more people to Probably, number one, go to college if they wanted to do that. And number two, stay in state. 855-616-1620. They call it direct admission, automatic admission. Good idea, bad idea. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sometimes you need to, to think outside the box. And, and uh, candidly, that this idea of automatic admissions is, is thinking outside the box. If you're just tuning in, the way it would work is for Wisconsin high school graduates who meet certain criteria, grade point average, SAT, ACT scores, whatever you're looking at, instead of having to apply to a state school, they would automatically be enrolled. So that they get a notice saying, hey, hey, welcome, you've qualified for admission to UW-Stevens Point if you want to go. You've qualified for admission to UW-Platteville, wh- wherever. Now, nothing's saying that they have to go, but they don't have to apply. And, uh, again, if you don't meet these criteria, you can still apply. But the idea is it, it eliminates the waiting, it eliminates the stress, and maybe it makes people consider a state university when they would otherwise perhaps not. I just, honestly, I don't see a downside to this. Tom and Beaver Dam. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, my son uh, did, went through this process back 20 years ago, and he looked at the University of Minnesota, and they had a, he took his uh, ranking in his high school class, and he was in the top five percent so he was 95 percent plus right. his ACT score and it, and it went over a certain amount he was automatically accepted and he yeah. also applied to Madison and they just kept bungling and bungling around with the application and finally he said screw Madison I'm going to University <laughs> of Minnesota he had yeah. a great education up there yeah no, th- thanks for the call Tom and I guess I, I I look at this and I say you know wh- why <clears throat> why why not if if you're in that category where you're going to be automatically admitted, and you know we talk a lot about transparency in these college admissions, and, and I I will tell you I, I I still 
I, I don't understand, you know, how, how they make certain decisions or why they make certain decisions. But for kids that you know are going to qualify, why, why not reach out to them? Why not be proactive? Jeff, I think this is awesome. As the great Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. Well, I think there's an idea uh, about um, that. Jeff, good idea if there are academic standards to qualify and a required grade point to continue. It may take students away that are better candidates for a trade. <clears throat> but like, d- don't get me wrong. I-, I think sometimes we we push students to feel that they've got to go to, to a college as opposed to getting into a trade. I mean, I've, I've talked about that for the 25 years I've been doing a radio show here at WTMJ. But again, for kids that are looking for colleges, I don't see any... Why make them jump through the hoops if if you... Again, if they're going to qualify. Uh, here's a text for Jeff. I like the idea. It kind of democratizes the process for state residents. Kelly and Elkhorn says, I think it's a great idea. It's like the colleges are headhunting for the best of the best within their own state. Yeah, that, that's kind of it. Jeff, I think it's a great idea, but unfortunately some people might say it's racial discrimination and the people of low income are overlooked. Um, well, I, I don't know. You have to have, you have, to have standards. And those have to be objective standards. Now, they're going to vary from school to school. I, I appreciate that. At, at UW-Madison, that is more competitive, the, the standard is going to be different than at, at UWM. No offense to UWM. <clears throat> but So the, the, the numbers are going to be different. And I'm not saying that there has to be a uniform standard that the same admission criteria for Parkside has to apply for the, to, to UW-Madison. That, that's not going to be the case. I understand that some schools are going to be more selective than others, but this isn't about selectivity. This is about ease of a- admission. And I, I think that's, that's a key. Jeff, I like the idea, mainly because schools like UW-Madison want more out-of-state students as they pay um, out-of-state tuition. It's frustrating for my kids who are making decisions about colleges um, soon. Um, yeah. Jeff, I messaged you about this quite a while ago. Now my daughter wanted to be a Badger. We're big fans of football and basketball teams, and um, <clears throat> but uh, Wisconsin has a quarter system. And they're turning away state candidates in favor of out-of-state candidates. She ended up applying all over the world and will be attending London for vet school this far. But at least she gets to, you know, pursue her dream. Jeff, I don't know why a school would want to do that. Um, they have more room if most students accept it. Well, that, that's it. I mean, the, the schools, the reason a school would want to do that is it makes it easier for them. And, and, and again, Schools are, are, are trying to recruit the, the students. And so if this gives qualified students an opportunity to come there, um, you know, why, why not? Um, yeah, I mean, that's it. Jeff, as the mother of four college graduate daughters, this would also help with application fees, especially the multiple application fees that some of the daughters needed for more than one school uh, application. Well, yeah, that's a great point as well. I mean, look, people are still going to apply to different schools. I I get that. I mean, if you want to go to an Ivy League school, well, you know, chances are you're going to be applying to a whole bunch of of Ivy League schools. So I, I understand all that. But if you're going to automatically be admitted, why don't we make it just as easy as possible to do it? 
what is the downside? And try as I might, I, I don't see what a downside would be. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We are, of course, broadcasting live from the second annual WTMJ golf outing. We are at the club at Lock LaBelle. Here, here's one of the interesting things that's going on behind the scenes, and I hope at some point in time that they take a picture of this because I admit it's kind of freaking me out a little bit. Um, everybody, the, the company, will, distributes various items of clothing that, that people can, can wear. And over the years, I can't tell you how many WTMJ T-shirts and polo shirts and things like that I have amassed. Well, on Friday, last Friday, what they did is they came out with the, the new WTMJ polos. And they're actually they're, they're very high-quality polo shirts. They're, they're very, very nice, and they're just navy blue. And Everybody on staff is wearing them. We were told to wear them, and normally, just as a matter of principle, I rebel against that. But this was a pretty good polo shirt, so I put it on. So everywhere I look, it's like this giant cult. I mean, everywhere I go, I see we must have like 30 or 40 people. I didn't know we had this many people work at the station, but everybody is around here, and they're all wearing these giant these polo shirts. And so they all match, and I'm thinking we have to have like a group picture with everybody in their WTMJ polo shirt, but don't know when that's going to be and don't know how much longer I'm going to stick around after the program. But they're, they're, they're pretty darn nice, and we clearly follow instructions here at WTMJ. Get that passport ready. WTMJ is sending you on a once-in-a-lifetime trip to see the green and gold play in London. You could qualify for this amazing trip to London, including airfare, hotel stay, transportation, and two tickets to the game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Tune in to Wisconsin's Morning News every day at 710 for your chance to win. It's the Great Britain giveaway only on 620 WTMJ. For official contest rules, visit WTMJ.com. I, I know there is a heated Senate race, and I know people are going to want to talk about it. And trust me, we will have a lot of time to talk about it over the course of the next you know, couple months. But one of the reasons I really love Ron Johnson is the fact that he, he says what he believes even though he understands that in some cases it's going to be misinterpreted and it's going to be used as as headlines and fodder for perhaps you know negative campaign ads and there, there's another story in the local newspaper about this the the other day Ron Johnson the headline says Senator Ron Johnson says social security was set up improperly and would have been better invested in the stock market and the piece in the journal sentinel says when it comes to discussing problems with social security Republican US Senator Ron Johnson isn't backing down in fact he's doubling down weeks after saying social security and medicare should be subjected to annual budget talks a stance that caused political blowback from his foes Johnson <clears throat> once again weighed in into America's signature social insurance program during a Wednesday campaign stop in Rice Lake, Johnson said Social Security was set up improperly and that the system's funds would have been better off invested in the stock market. And, and you know what? He, he's right. He, he's absolutely right. One of the frustrating things to me about what's going on now is you have politicians who are afraid to confront the issues that are out there. Now, here's the issue with Social Security. The Medicare Trust Fund runs out in 2028, Social Security runs out in 2035. All right, 
we need to have conversations about how those benefits. I was talking to a friend of mine today who is in his early 40s, and he was saying, you know, I am concerned that there's no way Social Security is going to be around when I turn 67, 20-some years from now. And I said, well, at best, that's not going to be the retirement age. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 70 or 75 or whatever it would be. And he said, that's exactly my, my point. And politicians are afraid to talk about it because, like as Johnson says, Johnson says, look, I never said I wanted to cut it or end it or put it on the chopping block. I want to save Medicare. I want to save Social Security. Um, I, I want to protect the people that are on it now. But I want to figure out how we are going to make sure that it's around for people who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s. That's what the challenge is. But, you know, so many politicians are afraid to even confront that, honestly, because their opponents who just ignore the whole problem, oh, he wants to eliminate Social Security. Well, at least Ron Johnson is saying the things that need to be said. And that's one of the things that we'll be talking about over the course of the next couple months. High inflation, recession threats, and a parade of bad news. It's enough to make you lose sleep. It's no secret many Americans are worried about the state of the economy. Join Dave Spano from Annex Wealth Management along with WTMJ's John Mercure for Navigating the Markets, a special webinar presentation on Wednesday, August 24th at 11 a.m. It's a one-hour, 30,000-foot view of the current market trends with a discussion of what to expect the rest of the year. Sign up at WTMJ.com. Navigating the Markets from Annex Wealth Management and 620 WTMJ. Once again, we are broadcasting live from the Club at Lock LaBelle. This is the second annual WTMJ golf outing, number of our partners and co-workers and are out on the golf course. It is a wonderful day. One of the things we are doing is raising money for Special Olympics. We had, uh, as part of our latest WTMJ Cares program, sponsored by Wisconsin's Morning News host, Vince Vetrano, we have an auction going on now of a lot of great items. I think bidding is open until 5 o'clock today, so you can see the list of items. Just simply text us um, at WTM. Just text w, the word WTMJ Cares to 855-616-166. 20, and you can figure out how to bid on all these different items that they have that are out there. Okay, let's let's switch gears. We've been talking about some serious and heavy stuff. There's a th- there is a trend that you're starting to see in this country. And as a matter of fact, I actually know some people who are are doing this, and it's it's kind of like a way. I don't know that some people have of thinking about spending their retirement or, or some of their life or, or just something that they do on, on a regular basis. And I, I call it On the Road Again. There was a story in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend about people who have essentially made the decision to get rid of their houses or substantially downsize. Maybe they're going to have like an apartment at one place. But they are going to spend most of their time on the road. And and maybe it means that they're going to buy like a recreational vehicle and just travel around in the RV. Maybe it means that they're going to buy like a truck and then tow an Airstream trailer or, or whatever. But the, the idea is they are going to be on the road essentially permanently. Now, like I say, you might have a base of operations. Maybe you have a small apartment or a, a small condo or something here you know, in, in the area or wherever you choose to live. But in general, the idea is that you're going to be on, on the road. And I, I do notice that as I've 
as, as I drive around, I see people who appear to be doing that. Um, for example, here, here's the way the story in the Wall Street Journal starts off. Scott Hamilton has the perfect work-from-home setup, an expansive desk area with room for a full-size monitor, a keyboard and a printer, filing space, a comfortable chair, and a reliable connectivity, including Starlink satellite internet service and a separate InstiConnect router and cell-based modem as backup. Mr. Hamilton, 66, is a business consultant. He can also prepare meals, shower, and sleep six in his office, which is located in a 30-foot Airstream flying cloud that he pulls with a Ford F-250 pickup truck. He paid $118,000 for the Airstream. And then it goes on to talk about how he's, he's, this is how he spends his life. According to the RV Industry Association, that's recreational vehicles, they say that about 400,000 RV owners live full-time in their rigs. And uh, a survey from about a year ago says that about 54% of people who own RVs had worked remotely while traveling during eight months prior to the survey. So the idea is, hey, there, there's more with people working remotely. You don't need to be tied in to, you know, e- even one particular home office. You know, you can, you can be wherever you want. And so people are using this as the opportunity to, again, go out on the road. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, to each their own, but I guess when I have seen this, and I've seen the giant Airstream trailers, and I've seen the people driving the the giant RVs and and towing the cars and things like that, on on the one hand, I I get it. You know, you're not tied into a particular location. You don't have to buy a second home in Arizona or a second home in Florida or whatever. You can go wherever you want. At the same time, I freely admit that just like the jitterbug, there are some things that just plumb evade me. And, and, and why you would just essentially decide to live on the open road, it, it just, I don't get it. I just, I freely admit, I do not understand it. Can I see road trips? Absolutely. Can I see, okay, maybe taking a camper to a campground or something? Well, that's not me, but if you're into camping, I can understand that. But the idea of living a nomadic existence, just just driving around and traveling and living out of your RV or, or living out of your Airstream trailer, I do not understand the appeal. But yet, apparently, there's hundreds of thousands of people for whom that is exactly what they like to do. So, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is that you? Do you want to, would the idea of just living on the open road be of appeal to you? Do you just kind of get up and go, and maybe that means you're up north for a couple months during the, the summer, and then maybe it means you head down to Texas, or you head out to Nevada, or you head to Florida, or whatever. You're just kind of going where the spirit moves you. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's not me, but I understand it might be you. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620, back with more in just a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Mike and Marquette says, Jeff, my cousin and her husband do this. During the pandemic, they sold their condo in the Twin Cities and bought a truck and a camper. They travel the country with their three young kids. Both work remotely, and they say they love the freedom of not being tied down to one particular area. 
Jeff, I read the article you saw. The guy admitted that it's more expensive than having a permanent home. It's not for me, but to each their own. I like having a solid home base for my kids and grandkids to come to. Well, I think that's... um, uh, certainly a factor. Jeff, a lot of this lifestyle was driven by the tech industry and high rents in those communities. Well, yeah, um, that that's the case. But at the same time, these are choices that people are making. And and I, they're, they're saying, look, we, we don't want to be tied down to a particular place, so we'll buy a $120,000 Airstream trailer and we'll buy a Ford F-250 and we'll just hit the open road. It's not for me. But I'm curious as to what the appeal is. Jeff, this is exactly what my wife and I talk about for our retirement. We're in our 40s. We have a beautiful country here, and it'll take a little time to visit and explore, so we might as well do it before it's too late. Ken in South Milwaukee. Ken, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Jeff. Appreciate what you're doing there on the airwaves. Thank you, sir. Um, I just wanted to share, I've got some friends of mine from church that uh, have been active in the, the mission field, you know, internationally, nationally, and they've kind of transitioned now since they've retired and are, are keeping it on the national level. They've joined a, a group of people that travel around to locations that have been hit by hurricanes, flooding, fires, what have you, and they'll just stay in one area for three, four months and help clean up and then travel on to the next location. So there's there's it's more it, it's not so much <clears throat> this is kind of a life a lifestyle choice as to where we want to live but it's like we're going to go from natural disaster to natural disaster and try to help out people. Exactly. Then when they come huh. home and hang out here for a while, they'll stay with their family locally. Hmm. Sounds like they're better people than me, Ken. I guess. But is that is that something that would appeal to you? I can see doing that. Might uh, huh. have to talk my wife into it, but <laughs> yeah, fair, fair, fair enough. Thanks for the call. Well, again, it, this is—I'm not—I'm not mocking this, really. It's just—I'm just—I I, frankly, I don't understand it. That the story that I'm looking at says how, how one of these these recreational vehicle companies, what they're doing is they're going to come out with a a new model of RV with a dedicated corner office in the rear of the coach and a suggested retail price of approximately $400,000. I mean, $400,000. I I guess, now to me, if you could afford an RV that costs $400,000, you could afford afford a lot of traveling around the country. I mean, and I agree that there's a lot of great things to see in this country and stuff, and I encourage you know everybody to do it and there's still some places i've been fortunate in my life that i've had the opportunity to um i've had the opportunity in my life to um go around and see a lot of this great country but at the same and there's still places that i i want to see and there's places that i want to go but i guess i keep thinking you know for me well you know what i'm going to be doing is there's a way to do it you can like like take you know a week-long trip and then then come back the the idea of um, the, the idea of doing this and being in a situation where I, I'm not going to have a home base, I just don't get it. Jeff, I could maybe do this if I was retired, but with kids underage, um, people that do it with younger children, I, I think that just doesn't work because they're taking away the kid's childhood and making friends and building bonds. Yeah, it would be tough to, I think, put, if you had three 
school-age children, and I guess I understand you could always homeschool and stuff like that. I, I think that would be tough, but that's not primarily the people who are, are doing this. So in any event, it's on the road again. I'm going to put something up on Twitter. If you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 that kind of uh, links to this story. Again, I, I appreciate the fact that people are doing it. It's just not for me. Hey, before I, I end my portion of the program and turn the broadcast over to Melissa and Scott Warris, who's back at Radio City, and, and he'll be filling in for a little bit while John McCure completes his, his round of golf out here at our TMJ Golf Outing, I, I did want to kind of issue a caution. If you have a, a relatively new model iPhone or an iPad or even, even an iPad, pod or or maybe a mac computer apple and one of the great things about apple over the years is typically apple has not been subject to like the hacks that you get sometimes with like a pc that's been one of the great things but that doesn't mean that they're they're impervious to this and if you didn't see this and I, i meant to make a point of it like at the end of last week apple on thursday released an emergency security update after disclosing that there were vulnerabilities for certain iPhone, iMac, and Mac products. And apparently what had happened is there was the potential, there were some hackers out there who were able to get into people's phones and essentially take them over and and then actively exploit this. Now, I, I don't know how widespread this occurrence was, but Apple issued a security patch last Thursday. And matter of fact, I spent about 20 minutes on Saturday morning dealing with this. So if you have an iPhone or a MacBook or a Mac Air or you have, um, you know, one of the iPads, what you can do is you can go into your settings. You look at general and then you click on updates. And what you will find is they've got this patch there, and you'll be able to download it and install it, and and then you end up being protected. So I did want to mention that because, again, I think one of the things for those of us who use Apple products, you tend to think that, oh, well, this is I don't have to worry about these security problems and hacks and things like that. Well, as a general rule, that's okay, but there are exceptions. And apparently there's a problem that developed last week with Apple. So if you've got one of these, again, just, just check your updates, general do the updates. You'll find the security patch is there. You download it. It takes five or ten minutes. You install it, and then you're good to go because, well, none of us, none of us want to have our phones hacked, whether they're Androids or Apples or whatever. 